You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the word. Welcome into the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We're so glad that you're joining us again this week uh, for another episode. Uh, we hope that you had a great uh, Thanksgiving uh, season now that we're just a, a week here behind Thanksgiving and that you had some opportunity to slow down and to spend some time with your family and then most importantly to offer some thanks uh, to uh, to God for how good he's been and how faithful he's been uh, to you. And so uh, we're excited today because we're going to be kicking off our Christmas podcast series and so excited about this, um, and it's going to be a great time. We'll be in this uh, series for the next uh, four weeks uh, leading up to Christmas, and so we really want you to uh, come along with us and, and take this journey as we look at uh, the story of Christmas. Many of us know the story. In fact, we probably can you know, almost uh, recite it word for word, but we're going to dive in deep and look at the Scripture. And we're going to be taking um, the approach at looking at this from dis- different aspects of the Christmas story. So today we're going to be looking from that of the prophets and the prophecies that were told about Jesus coming to our earth. And then next week we're going to look at the angels and the proclamation that they made there, and then we'll move into the shepherds and the magi, and then ultimately we'll round back around to us because we have a a, a part in the Christmas story as well. And so uh, we're looking forward to this series. Uh, we've entitled the series "The Coming King." Uh, the Lamb of Bethlehem. And so um, I would encourage you, again, to join us for each of these um, podcasts and make sure that you're downloaded and subscribed. If you are a longtime listener, thank you so much uh, for your support. If you're a first-time listener, we want to welcome you and say thank you to to you as well. And you've picked a great uh, first episode to jump in on and and stay with us for the next few weeks, and you'll get uh, the full content um, here of Coming King, um, our our series. I do have a a favor to ask of our audience today. If, If you're listening to us and and your own Facebook, I'd like for you to navigate to our Facebook page, the Bonfire Ministries page, and you will find the kind of info graphic uh, for this series, the Coming King series on our Facebook page. If you will go there, find that post, and if you will share it on your page. And when you hit the share button, that will put it on your personal page, and that will be available for all of your friends to see uh, so that they will know uh, that we are doing this. You know, this is, um, we've talked about multiple times, Dad, on this podcast, this is a strange year. That's right. Things are different. And so in so many places around the country and the world, uh, traditions of Christmas are being altered slightly and not being Mm able to, to... to be had in some cases. And so um, this podcast may be an outlet for some people that, you know, maybe can't go to church or don't feel comfortable uh, to get to church, or maybe they're quarantined because they are positive or been around people that are positive for them to have an opportunity to kind of go through the Christmas season um, in the safety and security of their own home or wherever they're at. So I right. uh, just encourage you guys to, to do this and let's, let's make this Christmas special. Let's not let it just pass by as, as 2020. Uh, we want it to get over as quick as we can. Let's take the time that we need to, to really observe and to study and to honor uh, the season and, and what it's meant to be um, this year. So if you will do that for us, we would greatly appreciate that. Well, Dad, as I said, we're going to be um, in this series for the next few weeks, and then today is going to be talking about the prophets and the prophecy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I got to thinking about the prophets and prophecy, that's, you know, probably not the most 
um, festive or evocative theme of the Christmas story. Right. Right. You know, most people don't think about the prophets uh, when they think of Christmas. You don't, when you're looking at a nativity scene, you don't mm-hmm. see a prophet from 700 years prior That's in that right. picture. Right. Um, but in the reality, that picture in and of itself uh, is the prophet's message, right? I That's mean, it, right. They foretold exactly what was was being said there. You know, and, and it was obvious that for uh, the writers of the gospel, Matthew and, and Luke, they obviously felt that the prophecies were very important because in their accounts of the nativity story, they sprinkled throughout that uh, the, the prophecies that were fulfilled. That's they, right. They added that to their account. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes you'll see as you're reading through uh, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, you'll see um, as it was written or as it is written, and then that will go directly as a citation into a, a prophecy. Uh, in many cases, it was 700 years prior right. uh, to the time that that was being uh, occurred and, and written, uh, which is fairly amazing. You know, the the Gospel writers, again, they, they understood that the prophecy and the prophets uh, were an indispensable part of the nativity story. And that's with good reason, because God has always spoken and acted in real history through actual events in real human lives. He has made promises and he's kept them. And he's called people to record them and to remember them. And so I think it's it's just for us to take this time to look and see what the prophet said mm-hmm. and to to understand that. And, you know, Dad, we're living in, as we said, strange times. This right. is, it's a tough world that we live mm-hmm. in. And in this uh, kind of post-Christian, post-truth culture, um, I wonder if it's more important now than ever that we go back and look at these prophecies and really yeah. understand them. That's right. You know, from an apologetic uh, point of view, if you want to really understand uh, your Christianity, uh, going back and understanding not just the New Testament but the Old Testament and how it how it portrayed and foreshadowed uh, the the New Testament is a very important part of rounding out your faith. That's right. The plan of God, starting from the Old Testament, we can see unfolds and comes all the way up to Christ, and then afterwards. And you know, the prophecies in the Old Testament, they represent a time of preparation. I want you to think about how much preparation goes into things. We just came away from Thanksgiving, and we all sat down at the table, and within an hour or maybe an hour and 15 or 20 minutes of family time and food, that meal was over. But there were a lot more preparation that went into that meal before that meal was served. So what the prophets have to say uh, speaks to that time of preparation, how God was preparing things, getting things ready, and setting things up for the coming of the Messiah. Mm, That's exactly right. And you guys have heard me say before that you really can divide the Bible into three uh, kind of parts. Um, A large part of the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament, is Jesus is coming. I mean, we, we start hearing kind of uh, the 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 seed of that right there in Genesis where right. uh, where God says that He's going to to bring about um, a way to to strike the head of Satan right right and um, and so the Old Testament is Jesus is coming or the Messiah is coming and then the New Testament obviously the first part of that is focused on Jesus is here and his earthly ministry and then the back end of the New Testament is Jesus is coming back right uh, so that's the three parts if you want to make the Bible can seem very very complex and complicated and, and I don't want to water it down or simplify it um, but if you want to talk about it in three simple pieces that's really what the story of the Bible is all about is Jesus is coming Jesus is here and Jesus is coming back and so um, it's very important for us to focus in not just on the Jesus is here and Jesus is coming back but those Old Testament prophecies to understand uh, what they were saying. And so, you know, Dad, I was looking at the the number of prophecies in the Old Testament, and I believe that there are like 600 messianic 
um, prophecies in the Old Testament that, right. that refer to the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at just around Jesus's birth, I think around 300 of those 600 are, are pertaining just to his his birth and his coming to uh, right. to this world. And so obviously on our podcast, we could never get through 300 prophecies That's right. uh, yeah. today. And so I just, I, I selected three um, that I felt like we could go through and we, and I call these kind of the essential prophecies. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the ones that um, are most critical uh, to our belief system. And obviously we're fulfilled a hundred percent in, in, uh, in the new Testament, Jesus coming. And so I want to spend some time going through those as we look at these three essential um, prophecies of the birth of Jesus Christ, of the Messiah. And so, uh, Dad, as we get started with this, the first one that, that came to mind is uh, the virgin birth. Mm-hmm. And we find that in Isaiah seven fourteen. And so, um, if you have your Bibles with you uh, today as we're studying, I encourage you to turn over to Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah in two, two places, and then we're going to jump over to uh, another section of the Bible. But Isaiah... Um, Isaiah seven fourteen says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so um, th- that is the, the prophecy coming there from Isaiah. Uh, the prophet Isaiah was, was sharing that uh, with uh, the evil king and the evil people of his time, uh, that they needed to turn their ways, um, and that there was going to be a sign that God was with them, and that was the birth of this child. And so obviously there was a historical birth of a child, but then there was also a foreshadowing of a greater child that was to come, and that was Jesus. Um, you know, the virgin birth of Christ is a key doctrine, Dan. If Jesus Christ um, is not God come in sinless flesh, then we have no Savior. Right. Uh, Jesus had to be born of a virgin apart from human uh, generation because he existed before his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not just born to this world. He came down to this world. He was sent by the Father, um, and he came to this, this world having a human mother but no human father. Right. That's exactly right. You see, if Jesus had had a human father, he would have had a sinful nature, for the nature of sin is passed down through the man. And having a sinful nature, certainly he would have been a sinner by choice too, and that would have caused him to be unfit to be our substitute to pay the penalty for our sin. For if he had sin on his human side, then he would have had to pay the penalty for his own sin. But since he had no sin, he took our sin upon himself and paid the penalty for us is our substitute. So the virgin birth is absolutely essential. Apart from the virgin birth, there's no way that Jesus could be our Savior. That's exactly right. And, you know, in this uh, scripture prophecy, we also see one more thing that's very uh, telling. And it says uh, at the end of that verse, and he shall uh, have his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right. And, you know, that's probably one of my favorite uh, names uh, that's given uh, to Jesus as Emmanuel, as God with us. It, uh-huh. it gives uh, such comfort to know that uh, that the God of heaven came to dwell among us and is with us uh, always. Yeah. You know, Dad, there's a, another prophecy that we wanted to go into, and that's about Tim being born in Bethlehem, and I believe you had some some information on that prophecy. Well, that's right. That prophecy comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, the Bible says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from ever 
everlasting. Now, the prophecy of Micah's, along with other prophecies, was given during a time when the northern kingdom of Israel was about to fall to Syria. Now, since the northern kingdom was about to fall, Micah's prophecies were directed more to the southern kingdom of Judah. In light of the fact that God was about to judge the northern kingdom of Israel for her sins, allowing the Assyrians to invade, defeat them, and carry the people off into captivity, Micah calls on the Jews living in the southern kingdom to take notice of what was happening in Israel and turn for their sins. However, since God knows that the people would not do this, Micah prophesied Micah 4.10 that Judah's fate would be the same as that of Israel's in the future, except it would be Babylon, not Assyria, that would invade Judah to carry off the people. Now, even though the message of Micah was a message of judgment, it was not all a message of doom and gloom because Micah predicted that a time would come in the future when the Jewish people would be brought back from captivity from Babylon to live in the land of Israel once again, no longer under the rule of a foreign king, but under the rule of a Jewish king, a king, Micah says, that will be born in Bethlehem. And there would be Something special about this king. According to Micah, the king will be eternal. Micah says of him, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. The eternal nature of this prophesied king means that he would not be an ordinary person. Instead, he would be divine. Now, the Jews understood Micah's prophecy to pertain to the Messiah. Matthew 2, 2 tells us that when the wise men came to Jerusalem, they asked, where is he who has been born a king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. In response to this question, King Herod called the priests and scribes together to find out where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him Bethlehem, they quoted from Micah 5, 2. Now, today, before Bethlehem was a birthplace of Jesus, it's important to know that it already held a special place in the history of the Jewish people for other reasons. And it was these reasons that made Bethlehem a good choice for the birth of the Messiah. Other than the birth of Jesus, some of the other significant things that happened in Bethlehem that lent it to a good place for the Messiah was to be born of the things I'm going to tell you just now. Let's look at those things. To begin with, the Bible tells us that Jacob's wife, Rachel, died and was buried in Bethlehem. Genesis 35, 13 through 22 tells us the whole story. According to the scripture, it says Jacob and his wife was traveling from Ephrath. Uh, Rachel was pregnant and she went into hard labor. She died while giving birth to a son. But before she died, she named him Benoe, which means son of sorrow. After he was born, his father Jacob changed his name to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. It's interesting that both of these names apply to Jesus. To begin with, Jesus was a man of sorrow. The prophet Isaiah spoke of Jesus in Isaiah 53 when he said he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When you study the life of the Lord, you realize that he indeed was a man of sorrows. You know, there's no record in the Scripture that Jesus ever laughed. Now, you think about it. See if you can find one. There are statements about his grief. There are statements about him sharing uh, uh, sorrow and sighing out loud. There are statements about him feeling sad. We all remember in John 11 where he wept at the grave of Lazarus. And prior to his weeping, how he groaned deep within himself when he saw the impact of sin and death. 
We also remember in Luke 19, 41, where Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem, sees the evil, wicked, unbelieving population, and weeps. He was indeed a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But there was no sorrow in his life that matched the sorrow that he experienced just hours before his arrest as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, the Bible tells us over in Matthew chapter 26, verses 37 and 38, Then Jesus took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. This is when he was in Gethsemane, the garden, just before his arrest and crucifixion. Verse 38 says, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. What was Jesus going through at this time? Several things. He knew that he was going to be rejected by his own, abandoned by his friends, betrayed, denied. And if this were not enough, he was going to bear the load of all the combined sin of the human race and die in sinful man's place. Like Rachel gave her life for her son, he was going to give his life a ransom for many. And in addition to all of his suffering on the cross, the father was even going to turn his back on him. There is no way we can understand the profound nature of the suffering of Jesus. Jesus was a man of sorrow. But after he suffered for me and you, after he died and was buried, God the Father raised him up in the grave and exalted him. After his arrest while on trial, Jesus said, to the high priest over in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. It is as what you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In this, Jesus was admitting to be God. The right hand of Jehovah denotes power. Isn't it interesting that Benjamin means the right hand of power and Benoe means uh, the son of sorrows. You see how Jesus fit both of those descriptions. And, uh, of course, he was born, Benjamin was, in, in Bethlehem. And that's where Jesus was born. See how he fits this. In addition to Jesus being a man of sorrows and sitting at the right hand of God, the story of Rachel connects with the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem in another way. After Herod found out that the wise men deceived him and did not return to tell him where to find the baby Jesus, he ordered that all boy babies in and around Bethlehem be killed. He would have no rival, no rival whatsoever concerning his throne. Over in Matthew 2, 17 and 18, listen. It says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentations, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Rachel here represents the women of Israel that were weeping because their children were killed by a wicked Herod and in his attempt to kill Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. Besides Bethlehem being a place where Rachel died and was buried, another significant event that happened in Bethlehem, I think all of you are familiar with the story of Ruth and Naomi. Ruth the Moabitess was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi and her husband and two sons were from Bethlehem, but they moved to Moab during a famine. While in Moab, Naomi's two sons took wives. Before they returned, Naomi's husband and her two sons died. After this, Naomi went back to Bethlehem, and Ruth voluntarily went with her. Now, Ruth was eligible to get remarried, but according to Jewish custom, she had to marry her husband's closest kinsman. 
she fell in love with a man named Boaz. By law, Boaz couldn't marry her because he was not her husband's closest male relative. Boaz went to the men or the man that had the marriage rights over Ruth and paid him money. And by doing this, he redeemed her. Now, surely we can see how this relates to Jesus. Jesus was sent to the world to redeem us, to pay the price and purchase us from the slave market of sin, that we that trust in him might become his bride. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. I will say one more thing about it, Matt. In addition to this, Bethlehem is also noted in the Bible as being the birthplace of King David. Certainly, you can see the similarities with Jesus being born in Bethlehem in this, for Jesus was born as the king of the Jews. And then the final thing pertaining to the history of Bethlehem that relates to Jesus is this. Back during David's time, uh, he had three mighty warriors, soldiers, that broke through the Philistine lines. The Philistines were stationed outside of Bethlehem, and David had a desire for a cool drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And so his mighty men broke through the Philistine lines to steal their king a drink. Well, it came at such a cost, uh, much death, David would not drink it, but poured it out as an offering to God. You know what? Jesus in Scripture, is the water of life. He poured out his life as a sin offering for us. So isn't that wonderful how the story of Rachel's death and her burial in Bethlehem relates to Jesus in so, so many ways? So yes, it was predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem by Micah. He certainly was, but there was great meaning behind the place in which he was buried. As a matter of fact, Bethlehem also means the house of bread, and Jesus is the bread of life. Oh, that, that's some great background on, on Bethlehem. You know, we, we sing the song, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, and it, it, it's hard to believe uh, that that's where God chose uh, to, to have his son be born. You would think that, you know, a, a king uh, would be born in a great city like Athens or maybe Jerusalem, uh, but instead he was born in, in a humble stable in the town of Bethlehem. But uh, there's so much significance to that, as you just shared there. Um, to the to the town of Bethlehem, you know. If you read further into Micah, as you kind of went through, Dad, Micah provides just a, a, a more to the picture of his of his prophecy uh, that the Messiah would be king and that he would shepherd his people and that he would rule the whole earth in the name and the majesty of God. And so, um, just a, a great prophecy there from from Micah that talks about where Jesus was born, born in Bethlehem. And we, of course, know that that prophecy was fulfilled uh, to its fullest extent uh, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem um, so many years ago. And Dad, that brings us to the third prophecy that we wanted to cover today. And and I've entitled that prophecy, The Ultimate Ruler Prophecy. And that comes out of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And, and let's read that together. It says, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. For that time forward, 
even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, Dad, in this prophecy, Isaiah announces the birth of the coming Messiah, and while doing so, he presents some helpful facts. And so I've just kind of pulled out uh, these facts that I wanted to go through. The first thing that we see is that um, Isaiah says that there will be a child that was born, right? Yeah. Run to us, a, a child is, is born, a son is given. And we know that Jesus is, is a, was born as a child and, and obviously a male son. It also says that he will be the king um, in, in the line of David, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a prophecy or a promise, rather, that was given to King David all the way back in Second Samuel uh, chapter 7. And so this is fulfilling that promise that his, his seed would go on to, to be a great kingdom. And then it talks about his character, uh, and it gives the names that he will be called, and those names are the, what reveal his character. And so mm-hmm. uh, these are the names that many of us associate with the Christmas story uh, so closely. We see a name that is wonderful. Uh, when I think of wonderful, that means that there's going to be nothing dull about his reign Right. Uh, when you give the, ta- the name wonderful. And then he's also given the name counselor, and as the counselor, he will have wisdom to rule. You know, counseling is big business today. If you feel the need for counseling, there are thousands of licensed professionals ready to help you out, provided you're willing to give them the time and the money required. But not all counseling will be consistent with biblical values and a biblical worldview. In fact, most counseling may not be. Uh, It's interesting, Matt, Larry Burkett paraphrases a proverb by saying, a wise man seeks much counsel, a fool listens to it all. I want to give you something funny as an example. This one lady was uh, facing surgery and was a little nervous about it. And she asked her boss, a veterinarian, if he had any advice for her. Without hesitation, he told her, Turn your worries into prayers, get plenty of rest, and don't lick your incisions. (laughs) (laughs) Think about some of the poor counsel you have received in your life. Uh, Some of you have made bad financial decisions because you listened to the counsel of someone else. Others have made poor choices in relationships, and often those choices were the result of poor counsel or worse, no counsel whatsoever. You know, it, it really disturbs me a lot of times when uh, people are in need of counseling and they know that their their pastor uh, is trained in counseling and will give them counseling directly from the Bible, God's counsel, but yet they choose to go other where to get counseling. You know, my counseling is based on referring people to the counselor, really the wonderful counselor we read about in Isaiah. But sometimes I get the feeling that some people are are looking not for spiritual answers, but for quick solutions. Well, today I want you to know that there is a counselor, and that great counselor, really the wonderful counselor, is God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Himself. And you can look at His life, and you can pattern your life after His Why, that's the greatest advice and example you can get. You can study his words and his teaching. That is the best counsel anybody could ever receive. That's exactly right. And uh, Isaiah goes on to say that uh, he'll be called Mighty God, as you as you referenced there, Dad. And and so that tells me that he has the power to execute his wise plans, uh, that he's all-powerful. And then as Everlasting Father, he is the Father of Eternity, which would be necessary to have an eternal kingdom. And then we see the Prince of Peace. You know, this is the one that I, I kind of hung my hat on when I was thinking about this last night of what we we're going to talk about. I got to thinking about Prince of Peace and what does it mean 
to be Prince of Peace? And, and how how would that come? And I saw it in two different ways, Dad. I, I, I saw first that we look at peace from our worldview, mm-hmm. what's around us. You know, and in this world uh, that's filled with war and violence, it's hard for us to know and understand what peace is. Mm-hmm. But one day Jesus will bring peace to this world. And that's a comforting fact. But there's a much deeper meaning uh, that I think uh, we can give to peace. And peace is also can be described or defined as the spiritual harmony brought about by one's restoration with God. In our sinful state, we have no peace. But Jesus came to be the sacrifice that allows our reconciliation with God, giving us eternal peace. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what I call the Prince of Peace. That's exactly right. I want to go back to, uh, also, Matt, to what you said in relation to uh, Jesus being called the everlasting uh, Father. Now, some people would think, well, you know, Jesus prayed to God the Father. That's true. And there is Uh, God the Father as one part of the Holy Trinity and then the Son of God. But you got to remember that Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Now, that word Father, for many people, it does not bring to mind a positive image. For some, Father means abuse or neglect. For some, it means the man who never saw my best is good enough. And for many others, it simply means a man who is always at work or at play. Rarely, Do I talk with people who have emotional struggles, who have or had a positive relationship with their father? Never before has fatherhood reached such a sorry state. Today, the word more often refers to a biological role more than a nurturing role. Almost one-third of all babies born in this country are born out of wedlock. Unwed mothers comprise almost two-thirds of the welfare caseload. A few years ago, it's interesting, Matt, uh, Hallmark Cards provided uh, several thousand Mother's Day cards to a prison. Really, it was more than a few years ago. It was quite a few, I think. A vast majority of inmates took advantage of the free cards, the Mother's Day cards, and sent one to their mothers. After such a good response, Hallmark did the same thing on Father's Day. Less than 50 inmates picked up a card to send to their dad. Perhaps no other factor has led to the insecurity of our nation like the way uh, fathers have abdicated their responsibility before God to nurture and love their children. But I'm here to tell you, no matter what your relationship is or was with your earthly father, you had the security of a relationship with your heavenly father. That's exactly right. You know, the... These names are, are just amazing to me. So wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, those are are just huge titles to to put on any one person. Right. And there's a couple other facts here that I, that I wanted to hit before we move on, Dad. And that's that His kingdom will never end. Right. It's going to be forever, and it's going to be characterized by justice. And then the very last verse there, I, I just jotted down, it said, no humans need it. Uh, the last verse, or the last part of the, the verse there that we read, it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Uh, he didn't need anybody to help him do this. This was all brought about by uh, God's miraculous uh, power and his will. And so uh, that's what caused all of this to come about. And so when you look at this uh, description that Isaiah gave, uh, this is describing to me uh, the ultimate ruler. Mm-hmm. And he, he's trying to, to tell, at this point, the, the children of Israel, 
the the nation of Israel uh, that there was going to be a Messiah that's going to be uh, coming to to this earth and that's and right. those who are listening from our, our Jewish friends because uh, we do have some Jewish listeners that listen to our podcast here uh, you know very well uh, these prophecies that we're talking about you, you've studied them and probably know them better than we do yeah uh, but somehow you you failed to to understand that the Messiah has arrived he's already been here mm-hmm. um, and if you you really think hard about all of these uh, different characteristics of what was laid out here, uh, you know, that's a that's a resume that no human could ever fill. That's right. Um, and the only person that could fill that was Jesus Christ. Yeah. And and I would encourage anyone who's doubting the fact that the Messiah has come uh, to really think hard about what we talked about today and what we're going through today. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, um, and understand that the Messiah came. He came over 2,000 years ago. Uh, he lived and he died for you and me uh, so that we could be part of that eternal kingdom. That's right. Uh, Matt, I have got a neat poem that's entitled The Christ of Christmas, written by Marie Turk, and it kind of ties all these names together. Five names were given to Jesus Christ long centuries before. He came down from his throne above to open heaven's door. Isaiah calls him wonderful. How well this prophet knew his person and the works of love that he on earth would do. And next he calls him counselor. Ah, this he is indeed. And oh, how blessed we are today when we his counsel heed. The mighty God, yes, he alone has conquered death and sin. And faith in his atoning blood will heaven for us win. The everlasting father, this may seem a little odd, but with the Father, Christ is one, Redeemer and true God. The Prince of Peace, how true this is. The angels knew it too. He brought a heavenly peace when he was born for me and you. May we remember these five names and never once forget the Savior who was thus betrayed is here among us yet. Mm, That's a good one. A very good one. And so, you know, Dad, as we get ready to uh, to wrap up here on our first uh, episode looking at these prophecies, I just want to encourage everyone to to take a moment and to think about the Christmas story, the nativity uh, that we all uh, know so well, and just uh, consider the, the importance uh, that the prophets had uh, in that, that story as well. And let's not forget uh, the prophecies that were told and fulfilled when Jesus came uh, to be uh, with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's just amazing. And so, Dad, um, I would encourage all of our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, that you would please join us again uh, next week as we take another angle of the Christmas story and, and kind of dissect that, and uh, that you'll please tell a friend um, and share this with your family and friends that this is an opportunity to to have uh, still have uh, a Christmas, uh, whether you're able to go to church or not. Uh, you can do this from uh, the comfort of your home or uh, in your car as you drive to work uh, to spend this time meditating on on the Christmas season. It is a, a time for joy. It is a time for peace. It's a time for reflection um, as we think about uh, the gift that was given to us That's uh, right. so long ago. And so, Dad, if you would, pray us out of here. Sure. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we're thankful for your great love for us that you displayed, that you showed when you sent your your best gift of all, the gift of your only begotten Son to this world. And you sent him on a mission to rescue us, uh, to become a man, a human, but yet be divine, to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves, which is pay the penalty for our own sin 
And our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus paid that penalty once and for all when he laid down his life for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for his shed blood that washes away our sin. We're thankful, Lord, for the beautiful story of his birth, his humble birth into this world. But Lord, we're looking forward to uh, the the climax of history, Lord, when Jesus splits the heavens and comes back to this earth to set up his his rule in Jerusalem and reign over the earth and all peoples to be that righteous ruler we talked about today, the mighty God. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was predicted in the Old Testament and he fulfilled those prophecies, every one of them concerning his birth. We ask, O oh God, that you would just help those that are debating as to the truthfulness of the scriptures to give consideration how the Lord Jesus matched all of these prophecies that were given hundreds of years before he ever came to this earth. God, we pray that you would move upon those that are lost, separated from you, to give their heart to Christ, to turn from their sin, to accept him and his death on the cross as payment for their sin that they might be forgiven and go to heaven. So Lord, please work through your Holy Spirit today and save souls. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonefire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.